welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. For the latest on what's happening in and around Fishers, just check my local news blog. Once again, you'll find it at LarryInFishers.com. The Hamilton Southeastern Schools Foundation has come a long way since forming in 2001. The nonprofit holds a number of fundraising events throughout the year and passes out that money raised to students and teachers throughout the local school system. I spoke with the foundation's executive director, Justin Hiranizi, during the afternoon of Thursday, August 15th. I'm at the Hamilton Southeastern School Corporation Administration Building, and I'm with Justin Hiranizi. He's the executive director of HSE Schools Foundation. Justin, I'm very glad I finally learned how to pronounce your name You correctly. said it flawlessly. Thank you. <laughs> that had that always been the case. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, we first spoke not long after you had taken this job. So how long have you been on the job here? Just over a year and a half. That would have been, we probably spoke last March or April. Okay. Something so like that. Tell me about your experience so far, what you've learned, what you've noticed, what you've uh, absorbed as you have had this job now a little while. How long do you have is my first question. <laughs> well, it's a 30-minute podcast, so I'll give you that much. <laughs> uh, still learning, and that's what's great about this position. Um, you know, in the foundation, our logo says it. We want to support innovations in this district, so that means... New things are popping up all the time. But coming from outside of education, I think that first year was probably spent on the learning curve side. Um, you've got now 22 schools, which means you know nearly 22,000 students. And um, every school is a little bit different. Every level is a little bit different. And we really exist to support the schools, including every student, every grade, every school. So figuring out really what that meant and then the best way to really – engage our community leaders which make up our board of directors and and you know get that group really um in tune with you know what what the latest is hs hsc 21 and all the initiatives that was probably um, where i spent that first year and we're rounding that curve we had a great year a good fundraising year which meant we got to give out a few more dollars which we were really excited about we'll talk about all that in a moment but i want to start with this uh I would encourage people to go to your website, and there's one part I really encourage people. There's a lot of good information there, but you lay out a timeline for the history of this foundation. Right. I've lived here since 1991, so I was living here. My kids weren't in school yet, but I was – maybe they were. But anyway, they um, – that's right, they were. But the, the point I'm trying to make here is that I think it was 2001 when the foundation right. began, and it really started with like one – part-time person working in the office right. and it has grown exponentially particularly in the recent years when freedom cold came in i think that's when things really began to, right. to move and it wasn't anybody's fault it was just how big do you want to be and how do you want to move forward and and uh, it has grown exponentially with the school system which has also uh, grown quite a bit so i would certainly encourage people to look at that and and if, if you look at that from a historical point of view and see where you've been and where you are today, that's that's quite a journey. Yeah, we definitely had some growth. And I think as I you know benchmark where we are and think about best practices and talk to the other foundation directors, because as most people know, these public schools, uh, especially in this area, well thought of, 
well-funded in a lot of ways, but there are gaps. You know, I just met earlier this week with IPS's foundation in Lawrence. And just as we compare ourselves to some of our surrounding districts, we all support the schools just in different ways. And I think you're right. We are, Dr. Borf and I have talked about this, we're still sort of an adolescent finding our way as a foundation. Some of our surrounding foundations may have been around 40, 50 years. So they got a lot of history. Um, they've got, which we're going to talk about today, they've got you know some alumni ties and just decades of history. We're still um, true to our mission, which is supporting the schools in every way, uh, diverse opinions, you know, every student, every grade, that's a big part of it and innovation. But as we think about what are those key tent poles, what do we want to be kind of when we grow up, that's where we've been spending a lot of our time. Speaking of recent history, uh, you spent, and you and the and, and your predecessor spent many years in that little brown building outside right. of Fisher's High School right off Promise Road. You are now in the administration building. I assume you're enjoying your new digs. We are, and you mentioned about the, the history, and we've got uh, really, we since Freedom, um, who now works for the district as a special projects officer, um, as we really, under me taking over about a year and a half ago, we have a couple new staff members, so Lori Lambert, our foundation administrator, Kristen who handles a lot of our mission-based activities. We're all in here. Um, As you know, just a short distance from superintendent's office, our curriculum people, IT folks, which has been particularly helpful a couple of times since we moved in. So we got in here last fall break. So it's still new, but we can, uh, the opportunities to collaborate with district officials and school board meetings are literally right across the street. I would encourage folks, if they make their way to the building, stop in. Uh, say hi. We, uh, we're your friendly foundation, so come on in. We'll, we'll tell you all about us. And the way you do your work and fund it is through fundraising activities. And uh, one of your biggest fundraising activities come up uh, coming up soon, uh, this is August, as we record this, the Mudsock football game, the traditional rivalry game ever since we've had two high schools here in uh, Fishers and Hamilton Southeastern schools. And uh, we had a varsity team at Fishers High School. Right. We have had this rivalry. And uh, it has been uh, 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 it's been a big event every year. I, I look at each. I was talking to somebody uh, the city the other day, and and there are really really two big events where people from the Fishers and Fishers area all come together. One's Spark Fishers Festival, and the other's the Mud Sox right. game. Uh, Richie Hall, who is the sports editor of the Hamilton County Reporter, and he covers sports events all around the, the area. And he said, I always come to the Mudsock game. It's because you look at the crowd at that game, it rivals state championship games. And those are played at Lucas Oil Stadium. And, uh, you know, you don't fill that place up, but you have big crowds. So I want to ask you uh, how you're preparing for that. Talk about the uh, Mudsock promotion, because the... In recent years, the foundations use this as a very important fundraising activity. 100%. And it's it's had an opportunity to grow, which has been great to see. As you said, as the organization finds its footing, the traditional rivalry. I think the city would tell you probably 10,000, 13,000 people, if not more, That's the show up to yeah. that game. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a big event. A lot of planning goes into it. As you said, we call it a VIP area. We take over, and you've been there. We take over an end zone. This year it's at Fishers High School. It's on Friday the 13th. Now, don't overthink that. <laughs> Don't ever think that. Um, but it's on September 13th. We're we're excited about it. We um, have been able to confirm that Braden Business Systems, which is headquartered here in Fishers, will be the title sponsor this year. So they're returning for their second year. So it's the Braden Business Systems Mudsock VIP experience. Um, as you said, on our website, if you go to events, 
drop down there, click on Mudsock, you'll find out all about it. We have tickets for sale. It's a $50 donation to the foundation, or if you're a school district or employee, or if you're an alumni of the school district, we give you a little bit of a break because we want to celebrate your uh, your involvement with the foundation and with the district. And it's uh, when gates open, it's at 530 uh, games at seven. We'll have, I would estimate this year, eight to 10 different local restaurants. Um, and I, it's a great mix. We district tap, you know, four day Ray people, places that people really enjoy in town. Um, Moe's Southwest Grill, Indie Fresh Catering, they do a little bit of a spread in there with some food and drinks. So it's a really neat opportunity to meet with community leaders, businesses. We'll have four or 500 folks in that end zone. We bring in bleachers for that event. If you, It's the only opportunity to put your feet on the turf and be right at the end zone. I mean, you are, as you know, you, you're on the field. Yes, and you watch for the footballs when the hundred percent. Yes, field goals are being kicked, especially at Fishers, because our tent is yes. basically you know if you think about the Allstate signs uh, in a college football game that you kick mm-hmm. into, picture our tent as that That's as exactly that location. It. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would encourage people who are interested to get in early because this normally sells out. Am I right? Yeah, and we'll be looking at a sellout. We sold out last year, really weak of the game. Uh, we only we restrict it. We have a lot of community partners that are a part of that. And as I said, Braden Business Systems is the title sponsor this year. So we'll have, gosh, in total, we probably have over 20 to 30 companies that will be sponsors or partners of the event. Um, so as you come to the event, you'll see some of those people that are really supporting the schools and stepping up. But then we encourage the, the, the only restriction in the area is it's an 18 and over um, zone. So it's a, it's an adult party down there in the end zone, but a lot of folks who do have kids, they may have seats in the stands, they pop over, get a snack and then kind of go back. So, um, that's the only thing I would mention to folks that I want to make sure they're aware of. The other thing, which you're probably going to ask me about possible. <laughs> that was the next thing. I, I, I knew that I, was going to be the transition. Can I say something please, before please. you start there? Because uh, John DeLucia may no longer be on the school board. He's still uh, the vicar of the possible. He's already had his hyperbolic tweets on uh, Twitter uh, tweeting out to me and a number of other That's people. That's right. But uh, he's always uh, hyperbolically talking about his goals. So just talk about why you do the possible, what it's for, and what all is involved there. It's interesting because as you look back at the mission of the foundation, as you said, we're a fundraising entity that supports the schools. Um, pasta donations – they're not a monetary donation, but we've heard from the schools that they turn this into a service project. They they learn about how people in this community, uh, we estimate that, that one in seven may be dealing in our schools with some sort of food issue or insecurity or something along those lines. So we've got eight different uh, Hamilton County food banks and food entities that benefit from it. Last year, we had just over 20,000 pounds of pasta. Now, to put that in perspective for folks, it's two and a half semis, roughly. I have seen some of the students volunteer. They've usually had athletes. It takes athletes to yes. do this. The Both lacrosse are, teams help out. And yeah, it was, I couldn't remember which team it yeah. was. Thank you. The lacrosse teams. And my goodness, it, you, have to lot see of it. you have to see it to believe it. And Meyer uh, has been a, a great supporter of that event. So they're back in, specifically the minor, the, the Meyer right there at 96th Street and I 69. So I would encourage folks to hit there and get their pasta. In fact, this year they're giving us. Much like the postal service program where you get a bag, they've given us 25,000 bags so we can give those bags to the kids, mom and dad or whoever. They, they can bring the pasta to school. So it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us the week of the Mudsock game to just reinforce its friendly competition. Um, and it's really become that led by John. You know, we do award a possible champion. 
um, which has been a Riverside Intermediate for a number of years. So for those listening, know that you'll you'll hear more about the Meyer Postable. Um, I would say late the week of Labor Day, look for the bins in the lobby of all 22 schools. And then um, we really give everybody through that game into the start of the next week to really collect the pasta. But we're talking about some schools that might collect 3,000 pounds. So it's uh, it's a pretty amazing it's, – again, it's um, – it's it's not um, it's not mudsock uh, it's not a mudsock competition in the sense of the word like the football game is but it's still a friendly competition and it's a way for all levels of the school district to kind of support something that goes into that week and it benefits not just the schools it mostly benefits the township trustees right. I think there's second helpings or other yes. nonprofits right. that are that can use that pasta for their clients well I want to talk about something else the foundation awarded over. $60,000 in scholarships okay. to 70 seniors earlier this year. So to talk about that, that's a big, important uh, part of the work you do. 100%. And really, we talked about the history of the foundation. There was a dollars for scholars, dollars for seniors. Many folks listening, if they've followed the foundation for years, may have got used to the those seniors calling them up and telling them about their plans and what they were looking to do. So as we've taken that program and really now moved to, we have 38 community scholarships. Uh, many of these are memorial funds. Many of them may be started by corporate entities that just want to do something that supports the schools. But uh, yeah, we're really pleased. I think we had 40 seniors at, at um, HSC and 30 at Fishers that benefited last year. Um, and I would encourage folks, as you said, when you head to our website, especially if you've got a listener that has got a class of 2020 member, we'll open those up right around Halloween. So I would say right around November 1st, October 31st, we leave it open for really into March. Um, and some of those scholarships, you're talking about multi-thousand dollars. Our, our largest one we give is actually a four-year renewable scholarship, uh, which is the Kerry Cole Glazer Scholarship. So a lot of those scholarships have a long history uh, with the foundation. And our big part is we think about the mission-based activities. A lot of our fundraising goes to the scholarships or the teacher grant programs that we do. As a father with two adult children who are college graduates, every little bit help. 100%. And uh, some of this is not a little bit. Some's uh, quite a bit. That's right. Uh, I want to talk about a big part of the work you do, and that that's the support you give to teachers in the classroom. Every year, and actually sometimes more than once a year, but at least every year, you're coming before the school board and, and passing out the various uh, – grants and awards to teachers. As I understand it, and I'll let you talk about it, uh, most of the teachers who put in an application, which is in order, will get something from uh, the the foundation. So explain how that works. So right now we've got um, our main grant cycles in the fall, and you'll find a lot of foundations do this. So our uh, grant cycle is up right now for innovative teacher grants. The deadline is October 9th. So we got some feedback from the teachers. We actually opened up our grant cycle last year on the first day of school. One of the challenges with that is I, I got to get my classroom ready. I got to, you know, I got to kind of get in there. So we actually opened it this year, the last day of school. Give you the summer. Maybe you're meeting and collaborating with other teachers. You're having ideas. Go ahead and submit them. So as you said, we gave out more than 40 grants last year, which was pretty significant growth for us. We gave out uh, about 70% more grants than we did the year before. And as you said, too, we try to um, – we have a committee that meets. It's it's equal parts community leaders, a lot of our board members, and then the other half of it is former grant winners, curriculum leaders in the district. So we have, an, a, we have a good cross-section of folks that look at these. But our goal 
is the ones that we all rate high and we want to support, they're sustainable, they're innovative. Maybe it's an idea that's never been tried before. Um, a lot of the student-led projects, that, that's becoming a real uh, focal point. So students come up with an idea. Okay, you told us you want to do this. Here's what we. Here's our take on that. Um, those were those were really popular last year. But of those, um, I think 44 total grants we gave out last year, they went to 18 of the 21 schools. So I do think one of the things that makes the foundation unique is we're really the only entity or enterprise tied to HSE schools that we are set up to try to support all 22 schools. So 18 and 21, it's pretty good. A uh, year before was 12, but ideally uh, we could get something at all 22 schools each year. I mean, that's our goal as an organization that our fundraising and the ideas, there's a good mix there. Uh, but to give you an idea, I mean, the um, the average grant we gave out was a couple thousand dollars. So we're talking about, you know, it's it's a it's a good idea that a teacher has. Maybe they partner, and then they want to they want to really implement it and kind of see where it goes. So we we uh, we did turn away a few grants. We funded just over eighty percent of them. But I would say that other 20%, we're going back to them and saying, hey, here's why it maybe didn't work. Have you thought about phrasing it this way? Or maybe next year, try it this way. So we try to be good partners to the teachers. And again, you think about the sustainability part of it. If they give us a new idea and then really can speak to, okay, we want to try it, but then we think maybe we could take it to another school next year or we can expand it. Those are some of the things that we get excited about because we feel like if we can be that, that light of the match that might expand it, we, we see that as a, a role we can fill in the district. One thing Freedom Kolb did while she was uh, in your job is to make Giving Tuesday a, a part of your uh, fundraising cycle. Of course, that's a few months away. It is. I, it's, it's like, what, 80, 90 degrees out, so you're not thinking about Thanksgiving you're right. this time. But just for people who maybe are not familiar with this, uh, there are there have been offshoots from the days after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, you know, Cyber Monday, Cyber Monday, yep. the Tech Monday, we get where the tech firms yep. are pushing all their their shopping. But uh, now Tuesday has become Giving Tuesday for charities, and and you have mm. put your foundation in the middle of that, and you've had some some very aggressive programs. A lot of people know you're here. Uh, and are you st- planning for that yet, or what are your thoughts about Giving Tuesday? Even though it is a long way from now. Well, and I'm looking at the calendar over your uh, left shoulder, and it's it's December third this year. So it's kind of interesting that. A lot of times it does fall in November, but it's become the foundation as we're currently comprised. We have the Mudsock fundraiser. We do our game day fundraiser. The Geist Half Marathon is another big fundraiser for us. But Giving Tuesdays really become another fundraiser for us. It's in some ways uh, a lot of organizations and nonprofits have an annual fund drive. Uh, Giving Tuesdays is close to anything we have for that. Uh, one of the things, and, and as you said, I think Freedom's leadership of identifying that program early uh, and kind of we were probably one of the organizations in the area that really got started with that uh, many years ago. Um, we've got two ways that really stand out. We've got community leaders that we go to them and say, hey, do you want to be one of our match donors? There's 24 hours in the day, so we're shooting to find at least 24 of them that will make an initial investment. And then the way we do it, um, the Larry Landon hour would be every donation from 8 a.m. to 9, 9 a.m. that morning would be matched by community donations. So the schools have been um, a great supporter of that. There's no donation too small. So, you know, some folks might give five, ten dollars or these community members that are often giving hundreds of dollars, if not over a thousand. So it's become a big fundraiser for us. Again, it's on December 3rd. The selfie program is really kind of the fun part of that. So we we uh, we call it HSSF Unselfie. 
So you're being unselfish on Giving Tuesday. Um, and we encourage, and we actually send home every kindergartner through eighth grader gets a flyer. Uh, one side talks about the program and what we use the money for, which we've talked about, scholarships, grants, and other innovations or district support. Um, something we really supported at a high level last year was some of the social-emotional learning that's being rolled out. Uh, the foundation was pleased to invest in that and to help uh, both Freedom and then Brooke Lawson um, with the counselors and the mental health initiatives. But tying it back to Giving Tuesday, um, the other side of that is your selfie. So you, know, you, you write on there, I support all kids or I support students. We've really encouraged folks to take to social media it's a it's one of those snowball activities if you give larry and then you post it data would tell you that your followers are 70 percent more likely to maybe give a dollar of their own so that's where as i think about that movement um and it was actually i think it was the ymca in harlem that actually started giving mm -hmm. tuesday if i'm not mistaken you may be right, uh, a yes. few years ago um less than a decade i would say uh, the idea is, how do I do something that benefits my community on that day? I just bought my tech items. I just bought all my Black Friday stuff. But how do I do something to, that benefits my community? That's what that's become for us. We're all tied to the schools so heavily in this community. That is because Here's a way that I can give a couple dollars that will really help the schools. And you know what? I bought all my Christmas presents or my holiday gifts. Now I'm going to give a couple dollars back. That's what that's become for us. Now, just so you know, I, I normally hate to have my picture taken. And yet I think the... It wasn't the first year. One of the first years that Freedom had uh, made this a big push. They talked me into coming down yes. and doing the unselfies. I've seen the photo. Oh, goodness. It's still around? Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> We've got a collage, actually, uh, of a number of them, and you were on uh, it. I've seen you. Uh, so, yes, I took a lot of talking me into it, but it was a good enough cause. So I need I to start talking to, now. Wait, you made the yeah. point. We're in August, but I've got until December 3rd to kind of get your photo ready. Okay. I'm, I'm going to sure start working you, I'm, on this. I'm sure it's uh, at hand somewhere. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about one other big fundraiser that you have, even though it's into the spring area. And it actually started years ago before I, you were here when it was uh, an opportunity for people to watch the NCAA tournament That's basketball right. games. But that just got a little bit difficult logistically to do. And now you've, you've kind of changed the focus of it. It's not there to watch games. You're there to celebrate your favorite teams, and you have silent auctions. And it's really a festive event. We've been having it over at Connor Prairie in the, in the most recent years. It's called Game Day, and I assume it's never too early to start planning Game Day. Yeah, you're right about that. So this year's date, or next year's, I should say, is December 21st. Uh, fun event at Connor Prairie. Oh, I'm sorry. February 21st. Feb See, okay. I was still back at Giving Tuesday. I'm glad you corrected me. February 21st of 2020. Uh, it's a Friday night, uh, so it's after school. It's, it's in some ways, as you think about the different galas and balls and things that happen that a lot of nonprofits do, it's almost the anti-version of that. As you said, wear your favorite jersey. It could be IU. It could be Purdue, Notre Dame, or maybe it's a Colts or Victor Oladipo jersey. But have a good time with it. Um, I wear a Cleveland Browns jersey last year now that I think about it. But that was okay. Well, they're, they're on the upswing Well, now. that's exactly right. And they're in town <laughs> practicing today. That is true. Um, so... It, it's it, it's a fun event. We do have a pop-a-shot contest where we actually pit off all 22 schools against 
school board members have a right, you know, the athletic departments. We actually do a little bit of contests. We have some fun. PTOs have been a big part of that. Um, so we ask all the PTOs to participate. As you said, the auctions almost become its own fundraiser. But the foundation really derives a big part of our budget from that event. So that's our big annual fundraiser. It's 500 community members that participate in that. Uh, a lot of the dollars are tied to sponsorship. So um, it's an opportunity for us to, you know, people that, that work with the district, if they if they can't make Mudstock game, we always try to get get that on your calendar. Join us in February. It's usually either snowing or raining. So come on into Connor Prairie. See every inch of it because you can imagine 500 people in their current facility. On the current facility, we take up almost every nook and tranny. Oh, yeah, that's a, yeah you, it's a crowded event. I mean, not, not crowded at the point where you can't move around, but it, I don't think you could take too many more people No, there. we're probably at capacity, which is a good thing. I mean, anytime you can have a sold-out event. We did add a new element, which I would I would tease again this year. Um, Ryan Allwart, who was uh, part of the – he's an alumni of HSE schools. Probably wouldn't mind me telling people he's class of 99, which I'm 99% sure is the right year. But he and I have known each other a long time, and he's got – um, he's got a band called Mixtape, and they're uh, you know they're sort of a uh, '90s throwback type of group. But they actually came and played, so that was new for us last year. We added a band, try to keep it festive, keep it fun. Uh, but between the Papa Shot, the auction, uh, we had other little games. There's fun stuff for people to do. So we'll start promoting that event, as you said, as we get kind of into the fall and winter. But if people want to put it on their calendar, you're right. It's February 21st of 2020. I want to ask you a question that I think is important for all charities today. One, and I think most people know who know me well, I, I worked in taxes for years, and I still teach a tax practitioner institute for Indiana University. I'm preparing to get started with that. The reason I bring that up is that there have been changes in the tax law on charitable giving. It's received a lot of publicity. Right. I, you have to – I won't get into the weeds on this, but uh, you have to basically itemize your deductions to, uh, for an individual to claim a charitable contribution under the current federal tax law. Right now, I think only about 12 percent of people are able to do that because the rules have changed. I won't get into all the weeds of that, but the rules have changed in such a way that fewer people are receiving a tax benefit – for their charitable contributions. I've been reading a lot about this. In fact, I recently interviewed uh, Lindsay Ardotti, a friend of mine at the Indianapolis Business Journal, who Mm -hmm. covers not only the state house of politics, but also uh, philanthropy as well. And I asked her, what are the philanthropic groups saying to you? And most of them are telling her they have not seen a great deal of change. Maybe on the margins there have been some challenges. I'm curious, with your foundation, have you noticed any impact on this new tax law on your organization? No, it's a good question, and it's something that we follow closely. Anybody who works in... Um, you know, nonprofit or mission-based organizations. But it, I would say the folks that are uh, donating to our organization, we I, I wouldn't say we have a lot of those that are doing it necessarily for tax implications or are looking for that. We obviously provide that. Every donation, even if it's $1 to $5, you're going to get a notification from us with our tax ID, with all the information you need if you are automizing. Um, but I would say a majority of them, there's there are donors all over the spectrum. We have individual donors. We have corporate donors. There really hasn't been a situation where I've, I've came across a closed door for that reason. Mm-hmm. Someone who said, eh. Because of the tax laws, I'm just not giving like I used to. And I think it comes back to um, schools are such an important part of our community. 
and they really tie us all together, you know, in the different communities that feed into HSE schools. So I can't think of a single instance where I've had somebody say, due to the tax law, I'm going to change the way I'm donating. Um, but again, we, we try to be cognizant of it. We reference our accountant. Is there any new language we should be using or how should we include this in our notification? There were some slight modifications related to that too that we needed to make just to make sure we weren't giving them something that you know they needed to submit to their accountant. Sure, I understand. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, and like you said, we don't need to go in the weeds. But the, the, I would say the good news is we're finding most people that care about schools or community organizations are still giving at the level that they would have traditionally, even before those changes. Along those same lines of giving, on your website FAQ page, you have a very interesting question that you posed there. Here's the question. If my, my, if my kids have graduated, why should I support the HSC Schools Foundation? I'm in that category now. I have been for a few years. My kids went, my two twin daughters went K through 12 through right. HSC Schools. They're alumni. Uh, so they are now alumni. So my question to you is when people pose that, I don't know how often you get it, but it's on your FAQ page. Right. Um, when you get that question, it's on there. I'll let you uh, orally answer it right here. What do you say right. to that? Well, I, I think it's it's a fair question because in our community is growing and maturing as well. And, and this is something I know um, that the city is talking about too. Just as as the population grows, there we may, uh, as a lot of towns our size, we may reach points where folks think, uh, okay, my kids have graduated now's a good time to sell my property and then I'm going to downsize or move somewhere else. But we're also finding, I think as a community, a lot of folks are sticking around. Not um, only sticking around, but what you're finding is that people who have families, the uh, the parents, the grandparents want to live close to that family. 100%. And uh, that's the city is not projecting that the seniors, of course, I'm I'm now in that category. Yes, self-identified. For a that's while. right. <laughs> but uh, this, uh, for all disclosure purposes, uh, I'm not a grandparent yet. But the thing I, I think is important to know is that uh, you know you, we are seeing in the city planning for having enough senior housing, that's for right. having uh, the kind of housing people are going to want to be living closer to their families. So, uh, and I, I know the school system, not not your foundation. I right. think you may have a tangential uh, part in this, but. The school system has worked very hard to try to bring senior citizens in, you know, letting them have tickets to, to some of the musicals and, and, and uh, dramatic uh, you know, offerings and also to some of the sporting events. So there have been efforts to make sure that people who do not have anybody in school, any of their own children, right. their grandchildren, grandchildren exactly in school, right. to make them a, a part a of the school corporation. And I think you said it, too. It's... You know, I, I think back to I attended uh, with Dr. Borf and some of our board members the Fishers Alumni Association. So the the group that graduated from the original Fishers High School that isn't there anymore, um, that group had had us in to talk to them. We do a scholarship with them, but actually they do scholarships at HSE and Fishers, so they they see the value of kind of benefiting both schools. But that group, we're talking about folks who graduated in 1968 or before. And what was interesting about those conversations, many of them live in the community, so it's exactly the group you're talking about. You have really, if you just ask a couple of questions about, okay, did your kids go through the schools? What about grandkids? We're now getting into some great grandkids too. But I think folks have had such positive experiences with the schools, they either stayed here 
and had kids and then had them in the schools, or they're trying to recruit them back. So it ties into, and again, I, I, I'm not looking at your questions, but I feel like we're on the same page here. Um, we are, we're writing, we're talking to the city about this right now. And really the, the recruitment efforts and the idea of Fishers has changed. You know, there are jobs here. There are buildings over one story tall now, you know, there are corporate headquarters here. So how do we find and retain talent? And ultimately, how do we potentially invite some of those alumni back? We just this summer did our first alumni networking event with the city and with the mayor, and we invited a good cross section of I would say young professional to those who more are in the you know maybe their forties or fifties and have kids in school, and we had a lot of rich conversations where I would say it's a, we're at the focus group identifying stage, um, getting a hold of these folks, including I'd, I'd love before you leave get your daughters on our list, okay? Um, because we're we're at the identification, you know, as we have uh, homecoming events mud sock events and other times that folks come back, maybe it's a holiday break or they're back from school. How do we try to create opportunities for them to network together? Um, We realized as an organization um, that that alumni initiative and really Royals and so the the alumni initiative is called the Tiger and Royals Alumni Network and this is something we're really starting now. We we've realized that there's not really an entity that helps bring them all together and we we are in the middle of of working on that with the city and we think it'll be it'll be an area that can be um, an economic development tool in, in sort of identifying talent and bringing them back. But I think it, it's a long-winded way of answering your question. Why is this relevant? It's part of an economic cycle and making sure our community is vibrant and it ties into home values and all those things as well. Well, I, I've always been a believer that the, the strength of the school system is tied to the strength of your community, whatever age you may be. Um, 30 minutes goes quickly. It's about done. Anything you want to add before we uh, wrap this up? I had two notes. We talked about the alumni initiative. I just want to make sure if folks want to follow us, as you said, it's just hsefoundation.org. Um, on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, all those things, you'll find us at at HSE Foundation. And the other thing I just want to put a plug in for, we had a couple of community groups approach us recently. We've started a new staff appreciation program. Uh, this is Bailey and Wood, which is a mortgage company in town, and then Remax Complete, which is a realty group in town. I met with them this morning. They approached us recently and said, hey, how do we help you kind of recognize staff achievement and teachers and so forth? So it's going to be an interesting program, and I would encourage folks to just follow us for that. But we think each month we're going to come up with ways to maybe identify a, an individual staffer or maybe a whole school for instance, the school that has the most pounds of possible, maybe we show up there with a coffee truck or some cupcakes or something fun. So that's going to be an interesting thing that we're excited to kind of announce a new partnership we have. Um, and I would tell folks, too, as we talked about Mudsock, it's right around the corner as you post this here in August. Um, tickets are $50, which is a donation to the foundation. Um, you'll get a notification from us that you can if you are itemizing, including your taxes. So um, appreciate you taking time to stop by. Uh, we're thrilled with the new space. you got to see it here. But if folks haven't been by the new administration building or came to a, a school board meeting lately, um, it's a wonderful facility. One other thing I just thought of, and Michelle Fullhart, who's the new school board president, um, she's the reason this is happening. We did announce at the Back to School event, uh, the school trustees, former, current, are going to help us get a fund of money that we're actually going to have a new source of grants. So each year, it's going to be a student-selected grant. 
So we have eight school board, or actually eight student board members of our organization. So we're community, and then we're students, four from each high school. Um, they already have a grant that they're picking, uh, which is our Moeller-Zimmerman grant for a couple of city council members. But this is going to be a new one. It's going to be interesting. They want to tie it each year to their goals. So the school board, they have goals annually, um, and they've just recently announced those. But we think that's going to be a fun program for our current students to look at those goals, look at these projects that come in, and then kind of try to pare those down. Um, but that's going to be a nice, I think, legacy fund. We talked about John DeLucia and just some former school board members that are always looking for ways to still contribute. Um, that's something brand new that we're going to have as a new grant fund this year. So I want to mention that as well. Justin Hernizzi. He is the executive director of the HSC Schools Foundation. Justin, always good to talk to Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. Check my Fishers local news blog regularly for the latest updates on happenings in and around Fishers. And follow the blog on Twitter at Larry in Fishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.